Hello, hello. Hello. now uh, at least 10 times that the Galaxy Note is huge in Korea. True or false? Absolutely 100% true. So define huge. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't mean that in an ironic way. (laughs) Well, it it is huge in every sense of the word. (laughs) <laughs> right so i mean a, a lot of people have it um and, and not only is the device big uh but the people who hold it are very small <laughs> so it's it magnifies the size does the stylus look like an earring on them or something or um i've never I've never actually seen anybody using the stylus on it. (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, when I when I first saw somebody using it here, I I literally asked, uh, "Where's your phone?" (laughs) (laughs) Like I'm talking right now, you dude. (laughs) Well, and they're like, "This is my phone." Yeah. What do you mean? You know. How do you hold so, this thing? Their hands. So what does this mean? Does this mean that like we have to really take this device seriously and target it and you know design a note specific Ushahidi app? Ah, uh, well, uh, you know, there's been all that talk about having a uh, the the new iPad with the, the iPad Mini or iPad smaller size or iPhone big, yeah, or whatever. Um, I think. Any considerations for for that device should be uh, would probably make some sense for the Galaxy Note. I think the sizes uh, are obviously very different, but um, trying to consider that middle of the road form factor is probably yeah. a smart idea. I think. Why do you think that part of the world loves the Note so much? Is it just the the supply chain and the Samsung thing, or what is it? I think Samsung has a has a big thing to do with it. I mean, people are are pretty proud of of Samsung. So, I mean, and their marketing is absolutely everywhere here, right? Yeah. So, of course, they're going to get their devices in in Koreans' hands before, you know, hopefully more than in other places. If they're not, then uh, then they're not designing a product for for their their own. Uh, I don't want to say their own people. But uh, yeah, for the for the demographic that they are, I mean, they are Korean, <laughs> you know, so they they should know what they need better than we should, right? Um, but people do they here, do that whole like Korean pride thing, like Apple with the designed in California or Cupertino thing? Do they have like the designed in Seoul? Uh, I don't think so. I don't. Th- I don't think they're as as. So. polished and classy about that stuff as, as Apple is. Um, I think a lot of stuff that Samsung does is 
inspired very heavily uh, by Apple. <laughs> down to the down to the molecule. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, <clears throat> no, it's interesting. People use data and stuff on their phones more than uh, than people in the United States. And um, for instance, I pay like seventy dollars a month, and I get unlimited. Uh, data I can tether to as many devices as I want. Um, people are just very more comfortable with with using their phones for for you know internety high bandwidth sort of things. So I think yeah, I'm jealous. That's the where I get jealous. There's yeah. an expectation that you be connected. Like I've, I don't know if I've said it a hundred times here, but you know I've moved temporarily and I'm a little bit more out in the sticks, and it just changes my whole life. Like I'm just constantly banging the dashboard of my car if I drive through an area where, I mean, don't even talk about speed, right? I mean, everybody knows the speeds in general are much slower in the U.S. than uh, Korea, but just spottiness is a whole other thing, too, that is just, I imagine, is, like, unacceptable where you are. Yeah, well, you know, it's funny you you brought this question up because I just finally, for the first time ever, created an account on Reddit. Um, specifically to respond to a post about uh, internet speed in South Korea. <laughs> so uh, there, there was this post on there uh, where people were talking about how how much faster the internet is in Seoul compared to major U.S. cities, right? So they're not talking even about, like, rural cities or even a city like where I'm originally from, Louisville, which is... Uh, about a million people. They're not even talking about those types of places. You know, they're talking about New York, Los Angeles, San Francisco. <clears throat> uh-huh. And uh, they were basically saying, like, well, the Internet is, like, ten times faster in Seoul and these other cities. And really, the Internet doesn't feel that much faster. Um, and maybe it's because I'm I'm an expat and I don't really browse Korean websites too often uh-huh. um, because my Korean proficiency is pretty... Pretty, pretty abysmal, uh, considering I've been here for a year. And uh, I'm hitting servers in other countries, right? So I'm, yeah. I, I still have to, like, wait for uh, my connection to come all the way from the U.S. or all the way from Europe, wherever the servers are. And it takes quite a bit of time. <clears throat> the, the only time I really notice the speed is when I'm downloading legal torrents. <laughs> you said the word legal with like the perfect tone <laughs> what i'm downloading insert robot here torrent. i'm glad you brought that up so people don't think i put that in uh post-production <laughs> um yeah, yeah i mean it's if, if people are sharing inside korea then you're essentially it, it feels like you're on uh, a land um, I mean, I've downloaded 700, 800 megabyte files on, on BitTorrent in like one minute, you know, it's, yeah. it's out, it's absolutely outrageous. Um, but if you're doing anything, like if you're browsing a website that isn't huge, like, uh, you know, like a Google or, or whatever, who has, you know, the resources to put their content on CDNs and, and put their stuff all over the planet, it's, it can get slow i mean it's slow even though you're sitting like i'm in my apartment right now and there's fiber literally just coming in the corner of my window there's a fiber cable 
Yeah, I wish I had a picture. <laughs> Literally meaning like you have a cable going through your window or... Yeah, what? no, there's... Uh, the way they wired this place... I mean, the place where I live was probably built in the 40s or 50s or something, but they just drilled a hole in the the window frame, which is some kind of cheap wood or whatever, and there's just a hole, a really tiny hole, and then... Just coming through into my room is a black fiber optic cable, and it's huh. just dangling. That's badass. Yeah, it, it like just dangles outside, and it's just in my room, and it's plugged in uh, to my modem. So I've got a fiber connection uh, just direct to my house, which I guess people in the U.S. are getting that. Um, not where I was in Louisville. Uh, the ISPs aren't aren't bringing fiber out. I guess FiOS is a fiber thing right mm-hmm. um, yeah i'm hoping i can get some when i move to austin yeah when do you move to austin by the way when is that gonna happen last week august last week so of like august a month wow are you excited oh so excited the weather's actually really nice here right now but in in a backwards way that makes me really excited because it's gonna be like my life all the time oh so you're just getting prepared yes I'm wearing <laughs> sunglasses and shorts it's so good but wait a minute. So I have to admit, uh, you know, you were telling me before we got on here that you, because you just woke up because of your time zone, that you were eating like uh, raisin bran cereal. <laughs> yeah. And so when you told me a moment ago that, and by the way, you emphasized the word literally. You said there's literally fiber coming in my window. <laughs> <laughs> I was like picturing you drowning in raisin bran. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Brandon, this is a technical podcast. Uh, we're talking yeah, about so. fiber, fiber cable, not uh, fiber raisin bran, and that wouldn't be coming into this room. Hopefully, hopefully, going to another. <laughs> I'm room. I'm on the wrong pad- podcast. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, speaking of podcasts that you're on, uh, you have another podcast that you do, and it's a design-oriented podcast. Can you? Can yeah. you tell me a little bit about that? I mean, I've listened to a couple episodes, and it's been pretty good so far. Good. It's yeah. It's like a digital design uh, podcast I do with a pal of mine who uh, works in a design shop uh, here in Olympia, Washington. And so he kind of comes from this like client services design uh, side, whereas I obviously come from like product design with Ushahidi. And yeah, we we talk about. I mean, we talk about what we're working on, but a lot of it is kind that kind of stuff works its way in and out of like current events type things you know new stuff that comes out frameworks uh just stuff you know whether a new product comes out that you know jogs our mind a little bit we talk a little bit about industry stuff but mostly you know how it affects our work you know building stuff and designing stuff and all of that so we do that once a week it's on jeff croft's third avenue radio and our show is called case sensitive Cool, yeah, we'll have to put a link to that on the uh, the show notes. Heck yeah. <laughs> so, five episodes so far, so it's pretty pretty new. But once I move to Austin, it'll... Actually, it's weird. We're, we sit in the same room currently, but we're too lazy to, you know, pull out mics and headphones and stuff. So, the, so actually moving and doing it over Skype, I think, will improve the audio quality <laughs> uh, over how we do it now when we're actually in the room together. So if you're not pulling out mics and stuff, what are you what are you using? Are you just using the the laptop? We have a Zoom. What is it called? It's like a it's a 
portable MP3, well, actually record to WAV format, but, you know, a portable audio recorder. And then it records to, like, an SD card. Oh, so this is like a handheld thing? Yeah, I, I have one because we did a lot of, he and I actually did a lot of, like, mobile video production. So we used it as, like, the audio capturing device for different microphones and stuff. So you could go on location. Exactly. Oh, that's really cool. So, okay. Okay, that's awesome. So so when you're going to Austin, you're just going to do things over Skype? I mean, that's kind of what we're doing now. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, I know people don't like to, to listen to podcast banter when they're listening to a podcast. I guess people just want you to get right <laughs> into it. Um, so how about we just get right into it? Uh, I think today we're going to talk a little bit about Ushahidi 3.0, right? Uh, yeah, a little bit to share, I suppose, since it's hot. It's moving along really fast right now. Yeah, so we have uh, Ushahidi 2.5 coming out, uh, I think, next week. Uh, but maybe by the time that we post this this audio, uh, maybe 2.5 will have already come out, um, which is really a release that's going to be paving the way uh, for some of the 3.0 uh, stuff. And, and I think a lot of the Ushahidi 3.0 uh, changes are going to be very uh, geared towards... Uh, improving the user experience and user interface, uh, which is right in your wheelhouse because, uh, you know, being a designer and all, and a user experience guru, genius, ninja. Oh, whoa, 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 not, none of those are fitting of me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't agree with you, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm excited about it for sure for that reason, I think, but I think too, though, there's plenty to geek out on if you're, you know, if for somebody who's interested in building this and doing the development on it, because there's, you know, with Ushahidi now, there's a lot of, because of the history of it and how it was built, um, it makes a lot of assumptions about how it's going to be used. And, you know, we've learned, heard from people that, you know, they, they get new ideas for how to use it and there's really no better tool for accomplishing what they want to accomplish than Ushahidi, but that's because their their specific need is so so specific, and really Ushahidi isn't perfectly built for their need, but it's the closest thing. So, a lot of what's happening in 3.0, I'll get just as an example. I mean, right now Ushahidi accepts reports, right? So you go and you hit support, or excuse me, submit report, and you fill out a form, and it shows up on the site, um, barring some approval or something. And and that's great, and that fits a lot of needs, but there's like. What what are the form fields? You know, or what is what is all the data that somebody can send? Um, that's not really flexible right now. Or what if the type of data is like sensor data, where every five minutes you update a location? Well, the Ushahidi of today, it would be like you know, if every five minutes, at the end of the day, you'd have like a million reports that were all just varying, you know, by location by very little amounts. So you'd you know, there's better ways to display and capture that data. So 3.0 is, all, I think, in a lot of ways, from a like architecture and development perspective, really interesting too, because it's addressing those needs and be and much more flexible uh, to how people have grown into using Ushahidi and found new ways to to go about mapping. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. You you brought up the point that Ushahidi uh, never seems to well, maybe not never, but, you know, usually isn't 100% of what somebody needs right out of the box, right? I mean, that's 
one of the benefits of being open source is that anybody can take it and modify it and make it do exactly what they want. But perhaps people uh, aren't always uh, comfortable with modifying an open source project, or maybe they don't know uh, PHP, or they don't. They, maybe they don't even know what a web host is, or, or things like that. Usually, they they'll just go to CrowdMap, but with CrowdMap, you can't change the code, right? So, addressing these concerns and making it, it a little bit more uh, simple for people to uh, do these things just from the uh, admin interface, I think is going to be a huge benefit. Mm-hmm. And there's like kind of a middle ground too, where like you want to. People have said that they want to do what today would be hacky things, right? Like create a, a custom view or like however they configure the filters and the zoom on the map and all those little things. Like say they position the map exactly how they want it as just a user, but then they like want to, every time they come back to the deployment, they want to see it that way. Well, that's not like something that you, even if you did have access to the code and wanted to code, like you couldn't really hack that as a user. So there's stuff built into 3.0, at least conceptually so far, that is about that kind of middle ground so that users can be used. So it's more flexible to like what users want to do who don't really even have access to the source code. Does that make sense? Okay, so so we have now the admins who, of course, can tailor the experience for the users, but then the users who can also mold that a little bit further to tailor their needs on the site? Yeah, so the, the, it's obviously like somewhere along the draft thing so you know names and specifics of how this works is may change as we build it out but in it, in its current state this whole design concept has this uh, notion of sets and so well so, so there's views which are like the map right with the categories and filters to the right um, and then you know we're gonna build it make that make that extensible so that extendable excuse me so you can Maybe just view them in a list or just, you know, view heat map or photos and all that kind of stuff. But then beyond that, for users to be able to customize and save how they configure all that, there's this notion of sets where they can pick the view, they can pick the category show, they can pick how, you know, where the map is centered and zoomed to and all that stuff and then save that as a set. And that's something that they can come back to. That's something they can actually share with other people who come to the deployment later. Um, and it's something that's like dynamic and living because it's not like just a hand-picked curated thing of like favorite posts. It's like it's basically search parameters. So when they come back to their set like a day later, if there's new reports that match their settings, you know, the categories they've set and what have you, then those will show up. That's that's so interesting. That's such a departure uh, from the way it currently works, where users who come to the site are generally anonymous. Uh, we do have support for some user accounts, uh, but they're not really utilized very well, um, and they're not really advertised uh, very much. So somebody coming to the site doesn't really even know that they can have an account on an Ushahidi deployment. And then even if they did, uh, there really isn't very much functionality there for them. Uh, it sounds like we're really going to be pushing uh, to really make the user experience uh, one of the central uh, themes of a deployment, right? Yeah. And hopefully that's going to drive adoption too. I mean, people are going to be more uh, apt to return to a deployment to to see what's new 
um, if they're somehow invested in in the experience. Totally. I mean, I think I think it turns. You know, this whole like one thing that's this came up in the design jam that we talked about last time, where you know, what quite asking questions about admin user interface versus public user interface, and you know, what, what should be. Why should there be a line, and if there is, where do we put things? And I think there is still a line with this 3.0 idea, but it definitely tears down walls where there were walls, right? So, like, configurability and saving things and, and all of that, those tools are not only um, not abstracted into an admin UI, but they're actually tools that anybody who comes to the site on the public side can get into if they want to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, with with the current, you know, uh, Ushahidi, right, two point five, which is coming out. Um, even a few versions back, we had implemented this action triggers uh, functionality, right? And action triggers are kind of a, it's, it's, it's they're kind of a pro user sort of feature, where you can go and you can say and automate tasks, and it makes administering a deployment a little bit easier if you get a lot of traffic or you get a lot of reports. So, so for instance, uh, an action can be a report has been submitted and then you can set these, what we call qualifiers, which are like, uh, what day has it been submitted? Uh, what keywords are in it? What category was it submitted to? And there's a bunch of them. So you can say when a report was added with these keywords, and then the trigger would be something that would happen if that happens. You could uh, you could simply log it. So in the database, you know, it tells you with the timestamp what happened. Uh, you can approve the report. So maybe maybe you have two different categories. One's a very important category that you verify. Another is a public one that maybe you don't care if people post whatever they want on the map. You could say, well, if it was only submitted to that category, then go ahead and approve it. And then, you know, you could come back later and, and moderate that. <clears throat> but um, it's these sort of things that I think would also be useful for users. So, you know, have different types of actions uh, for them, right? So if uh, there's a new search result, right? So you're, you're talking about sets, right? So if... If there are new reports about uh, cheeseburgers in my in my area, right? Tell me about it. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. So, so then you get into this uh, more passive uh, consumption of the content on the site, and you don't have to keep going back every day to check your area. I think for as much power as like you, what you just said, like to be able to get an email notification when you know, a new report is added to a specific category. That's like, I don't, I think that's really powerful. I mean, you can minimize it and say, oh, well, it's only a matter of this, you know, couple lines of code. I mean, to the user, that's extremely powerful. And to be able to make that available to them, like in one really simple, like two-click view is, I think, a huge accomplishment. And like the fact that there's a lot of that's already in Ushahidi is awesome. And I think it's just picking up on that idea that we can give them really powerful tools, but in a way that like they aren't, they they're discoverable, but they're not 
always in front of you that therefore like clock getting in your way and making this whole thing seem overwhelming. Yeah. I hope we can work that stuff in. I mean, what we'll, we don't really have the ability now. I mean, you could do that and, and hack it in, uh, but the interface isn't there. The experience for creating an account isn't really there. Um, but all that stuff will be right. So, so we will be able to tie these, uh, these different uh, alerts, I guess. I mean, currently we have alerts. I mean, currently you can put in your email address and say, tell me when there's a new uh, report submission, but it doesn't get any more detail than that. Um, like, I don't... I, I go back to Burger Map. <laughs> you know, I don't care if there's a burger in Cincinnati. I care about the new burgers in Louisville, right? Uh, yeah. We... I guess we do some filtering by radius, but you know there there are other things too, category keywords, stuff like that, which I think uh, with the sets would be would be pretty powerful. What are some other things in Ushahidi three uh, that you're seeing yeah. on the pipe? Uh, you know, another big one, is, and this is really for teams. So again, this is another example of like something that's there if you really if it's a game changer for you, but doesn't really get in your way if. If you're just a solo deployer, um, sorry, I want to make sure there's had some background noise here. Sorry. Is that overwhelming on your end? No, I think it's I think it's okay. We can do. I think we can roll with it. Um, and that's this notion of a workspace where you you know as a as an admin you can kind of stage this thing so that there are like. A, a category of tasks, right? So, like, re- uh, reports that are in the category of, like, accidents um, that are awaiting review, right? And you can go into your workspace and see just those and even assign them if you want. Um, you can add... Uh, so, anyway, so that's you could, that's you that would be sort of like a workspace. And the way you can make it really powerful in the setup process is, like, if you set up a report type, like I mentioned earlier, like reports can now be more than just title, description, and location, or whatever the default ones are. When you first set up a report type, you can say, like, if you want to, you can say, you know, at this report, when it gets created, it, it needs to go through one round of, like, approval, and then actually another round of translation before it can ever reach publish status. And so when you get into the workspace... And you have a, and you're dealing with a report type like that. Um, you can delegate when a, when any of the posts that match that criteria land in that phase that certain people get notified or certain people um, see this. So I know there's a lot of complexity in there, and it's definitely easier to digest when you're working with it. But just just the fact that there are tools in there to manage flow and responsibility and you know, and actually be able to divvy up like certain report types need to be dealt in a certain way um, is awesome too. And you know, surprisingly, I know you know being audio, it's hard to prove this, but you know, the the visual concept behind this is not really that overwhelming. Surprisingly, it's 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 definitely manageable. Yeah, it sounds really complicated uh, <laughs> when when it's described, but uh, yeah, when you see it, it's it, it can be very intuitive. Um, I, you know, I really think this is going to be huge, uh, compared to, uh, we have a more simplified workflow now, 
uh, where it's just a simple list of reports. And then if you have rights to go in and, and do things, you can just go in and just start hacking away at, at reports, right? Um, we we do have like this uh, so-and-so has made a modification tag, right, which has a timestamp and, and who did it. But beyond that, uh, the workflow to this point has been very uh, very simplified. And I know a lot of groups, especially like the standby task force, uh, have to use other methods like uh, using like a Google Docs spreadsheet or something to help assign uh, reports for people to go and geotag and and take a look at or do translations. I mean, if we pull all that stuff into the deployment, that's that's a pretty big deal. Yeah. I think. Um, yeah, it really. I mean, in the most obvious way, it limits the amount of windows you have to have open to, or for that matter, files you have to manage and all that stuff. Like amongst the team, you can just kind of do it all within your deployment. Yeah, man, that's really cool. Yeah, I can't wait to see that. It's like nice little touches too, I think, in how Gabriel at Small Services has uh, really been the lead on and doing all of the heavy lifting and thinking on this this concept. So, props to him. Um, and there's nice little touches in in the concept, like when you go into what could otherwise be a pretty daunting task of like, oh god, okay, I'm going to create a new report type. Like, what are all the fields I'm going to need? Um, and when you, the very first thing you do, similar to a lot of like word processing or pub, desktop publishing tools, is like you can choose from like preset, you know, genres like news gathering or fo- like a check in or, um, you know, kind of general use cases that that come with a certain set of fields. So you kind of get a you get a feel before you ever even do it. Like, what's the kind of how far can I take this, or you know, what what might I want to do? And so. There's little hints, you know, UI hints along the way that I think is also going to inspire people to to do pretty cool stuff with the with the uh, with the new product. Yeah, I mean, and and I guess just hearing both of us talk about it uh, makes it seem like just the the core Shahidi team put this together, but that's definitely not the case. Uh, there have been, I mean, Gabriel's done a lot of the work here, where he's interviewed tons of deployers. Uh, yep. we've done surveys, we've, uh, consulted with people at the design jam that you talked about and, and we're really trying to make sure that this is something that people really need, um, and that we'll actually use instead of something that, you know, we just think, oh, this is cool. <laughs> oh, this is neat. Let's put that in there and then just kind of hope it sticks. Um, a, a lot of the feedback that we've, we've gotten, I mean, we have, we've spent a lot of time. Uh, combing through this stuff and, and trying to make sure that that this is going to be valuable uh, for people. And, and I think that's really important as an open source project that we don't uh, just drop this bomb of a whole new product on people uh, and expect them to just adopt it, right? I mean, if we did that, I think most people would, would probably just stick with, with uh, yeah. version 2, right? Totally. Yeah, I think there it's not... If that's like your mental model, like is this the same thing as we've always done, but with like new features then or or you know if new features that basically break old ones um then yeah, nobody you know there'd be a really slow move to it, and certainly like you know you'd have you basically basically have two products, and I think this is gonna be like not only is it totally different, but there's just so much 
I don't want to say compatibility, but there's so much because there is so much consulting and thought given to what those people who are currently deploying uh, need. Um, then it's not going to leave anybody in the dust. I mean, there might be sure there might be some technical things like you know themes might break or or whatever, but um, you know by and large, moving managing your data and gathering information is going to be so much more fun and easy and elegant and all of those awesome <laughs> intuitive words um, I think in 3.0 than, than what, what we have now. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that any major version change on, on virtually any product is going to have some some complications for some users. Uh, but, I mean, we, we are planning an upgrade path and everything so people uh, will be able to uh, take their current Ushihiri 2.x uh, versions and upgrade them to whatever 3.0 uh, is going to mm-hmm. end up being. Um, CrowdMap will also be the same way. Uh, last week we talked a bit about how CrowdMap is changing and, and we're using kind of a, a different approach for that. And uh, that will also uh, have an upgrade uh, path, which, uh, of course, we would handle um, for users who are wanting to go that route. But Yeah, it's interesting that the approaches between the Ushahidi 3 project versus CrowdMap are, are a little bit different. So I'm I'm curious what we're going to say in six, six months to one year from now after these projects are either complete or near complete and uh, uh, see which one has done better. Yeah. yeah. Well, and yeah, and like, and how do we measure better for each one, right? Because they are, they are now so different, like, 3.0 might, you know, a success might be less about like how many people use it or how many reports are moving around and more just about like are there some like serious problems being solved even if there's only like five? Like are we just, are we tackling some serious problems? Because you could do some like, I mean you could run like emergency management teams who like run entire countries or states in the U.S. like could use this and that one deployment would be a huge success story um you know versus crowdmap where i feel like it's so so much of our thinking into that is trying to answer people's desire to to benefit like it's in the cloud right so how can we let's get all the benefits of the cloud and and get thing you know have things shared and, and move around the network and benefit from all the other maps that are on crowdmap and that's that's in, that points much i think closer to a a volume, you know, measure of success. Like how many people can we connect and how many maps can we connect? So it's going to be, they, they're definitely diverging. It's going to be interesting to see like what, what ends up being successful for each one. Cause it definitely won't be the same thing. Right. Right. The metrics are going to be going to be different since they are different type, even types of products, you know, um, I, I, I will be curious to see what types of deployments, um, gravitate towards either one i i mean we have I mean, we have the the extreme cases uh right where if you're if you're like a legit emergency management person um you're probably going to want the more uh the tool that gives you the greatest flexibility right mm-hmm. um and we know that if you are uh whatever joe schmo with an iphone walking around wanting to do some mapping Right, I mean, you're just going to want to have whatever is the easiest thing with the lowest uh, barriers to entry to mm-hmm. use. Um, but I'm curious where people will fall in the middle, and I don't know if we're gonna 
know exactly what that is until we have stuff that people can play with. Um, it's there's been a lot of work done with uh, mapping out personas for Ushahidi 3.0, right? I mean, we've we've analyzed a lot of different use cases uh, for for Ushahidi as it is now to help inform us on this Ushahidi 3.0 redesign, and it's we've covered a lot of different types of people, right? I mean, we've talked, we've, we've thought deeply about journalists. We've thought deeply about concerned citizens and, uh, people who, who help, uh, during a crisis and things like that. And it's just, I'm just really curious to see, uh, where they gravitate. Yeah. You know, you think it's safe to say that we will, we'll learn about, some of those questions around CrowdMap sooner than 3.0, just because CrowdMap will probably be ready sooner. Yeah, I mean, I feel like uh, the the CrowdMap the CrowdMap uh, roadmap is is a lot leaner. It's a lot tighter than Ushahidi three, um, only because it's a very small team, and uh, the code that we're considering now isn't one hundred percent. Uh, open source. Uh, we're looking at open sourcing components and things like that. Um, but because we we have that flexibility to just get it done, uh, it's going to happen a lot faster uh, than than Ushahidi 3.0. So I think we'll we'll learn a lot of lessons from that and be able to yeah. apply that to Ushahidi 3.0. Just because the development cycle for that is going to be a little bit longer. Yeah, yeah. Can't wait. Well, with all this stuff, I mean, the minute we start gelling our ideas and hearing from people like it's just i can't wait to build it so i can't wait to get CrowdMap launched and i can't wait to see this this whole concept in a browser cool are you gelling (laughs) (laughs) cool well uh thanks a lot for having having this conversation and uh uh, next week we'll be back with again something else we don't know what it's going to be but if you have any ideas or if you have any questions, you can send either of us uh, an email. Uh, you can reach me at brian at ushahidi.com or uh, brandon's at brandon at ushahidi.com. Uh, uh, Please. Ushahidi is U-S-H-A-H-I-D-I. <laughs> it's a difficult one to spell. Uh, yeah. But hopefully you know how to spell it if you're listening to this podcast. Ushcast. Ushcast. <laughs> All right, man. Well, uh, have a good one. Yeah, you too. We'll talk to you guys later.